Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the coach of the Mighty Mustangs 10U softball team. We are good this year. Watch out. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, my man? Hello, Andy. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafana. What's up, Lopez? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> You'll get a cool one soon. <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, the San Diego City Council approved rules for street vending. So how did it all shake out? Andrea has been following it and she's going to share the latest. And street homelessness and drug overdose deaths appear to be surging in the city. Our Lisa Halverstadt did a very compelling take about her own observations over the years on the issue. Pressure to do something is intense. Downtown leaders want to create a safe village for people to stay and more. The police and the mayor are raising alarm in San Diego about the increase in violence in the city. We'll talk about that in an update on the long-sought effort to create a police oversight commission. And finally, the region's goal of net zero carbon emissions is officially out. So what does that mean? That's all coming up. Stay with us. First, uh, you guys might remember as loyal podcast fans, about three or four years ago, we had a Russian journalist who stayed with us in the office, uh, spent time with us. We took him out a lot. Great guy. We had two, actually. So we had a first Sergey, and then we had a second Sergey. First Sergey was really nice and cool and had a lot of fun. The second Sergey was very direct and um, more dour. I would say more more straightforward with his communications. Yeah, I was going to say that he would probably say that too yeah. because he was so straightforward. <laughs> yes. First, Sergey, I remember you sent him to go get the, uh, a record at the port, and he came back just overwhelmed with joy about how easy it was to get a public record and see a public meeting in action without machine guns and people hostile to him being there. 
It was a very uh, amusing discussion we had with him on the podcast about the differences of being a journalist here versus there. Anyway, I checked in with him considering what's happening in, in Russia and what Russia is doing with its neighbor, Ukraine. And I wanted to check in with him. He was actually traveling in Europe when the attack began. And so he had a lot of trouble getting back to St. Petersburg, where he lives, because none of the airlines were flying there. He had to go to Istanbul first and then get back in. And he said that things are getting really interesting here. He said, in here in St. Petersburg, the war seems almost unnoticeable, except that you can't uh, use Apple Pay, you can't use Samsung Pay or anything like that. You can't use a lot of the credit cards that they normally use. Uh, he said that Putin, though, did get ready for that by creating their own Russian payment system that is um, works in similar ways as some of those things. So he thinks that a lot of his friends and stuff are going to have to go to that to, to get all that stuff done. Uh, they haven't seen much of the impact of the economic sanctions other than that, except that they are seeing uh, interest rates go skyrocketing and mortgage rates are just out of control. He said this, though, thousands of people come out in St. Petersburg and Moscow to protest against the war. The police have been brutally detaining them. Many policemen are for Putin and the war, and they hate those protesters. Now, this was the interesting part. He said, as a journalist, I'm trying to find relatives of prisoners of war or those who were killed, but this is very dangerous for us. A few years ago, Putin classified losses like that as, uh, uh, or they, they were classified information. He said, and those who communicate with me, and if I tell their stories, may fall under criminal prosecution under the Articles of Treason and Disclosure of State Secrets and illegal collection of information constituting state secrets and could land him in prison for 20 years. So all the stories that we see people do about, you know, widows or, or mothers who lose people in battle, those are actually not allowed to be told there. He said also uh, they have just been introduced uh, military censorship, which means it's forbidden to transmit any independent news about the war, only allowed to share state propaganda. Um so he said uh, the Kremlin blocked his website and TV channel and yesterday blocked the only independent TV channel uh, called Russia Dost the Rain. So getting a little bit dicey for our friend Sergei in St. Petersburg. So shout out to him and to all the independent voices. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to watch all these world events happen and feel so, like, helpless and removed from it and worried about it. But... Um, uh, you know, democracy depends on open information and, and hopefully um, that overcomes. And also a shout out to the Kiev Independent, a, a brother nonprofit news organization out there um, uh, reporting and following on Twitter has been fascinating as they provide updates about the situation in Kiev. Andrea was watching a city council meeting for many hours the other day. <laughs> I fun. noticed it was a classic San Diego city council meeting with all kinds of different changes and disagreements and updates and delays and all the fun music. So tell us, they passed a new street vendor ordinance. It needs to get uh, made official, I think. But what was in it? How did it work out? Yeah, so I think it's important to note, though, that I don't think everyone is completely happy, right? Some people, 
you know, think it went too far. Other people think it didn't go far enough. Like we absolutely do not want these vendors anywhere. Let's let's uh, set the scene. So what are the problems and what are the what's what's trying to be solved here? Right. So, um, you know, our, our listeners might notice if they go to Ocean Beach or even Balboa Park. The other day I went and, you know, there was a bunch of vendors and, um, you know, pe- people have complained about the trash that comes with these vendors. Right. You don't have uh, maybe enough trash cans. So then the trash builds up from whatever people are buying food. Um, and then, you know, some some people, especially like in Ocean Beach, where it's a very popular spot, people set up their whole tents and then they leave them there because they're kind of saving their spot. Right. They're doing business there. They don't want to lose their spot. So a lot of community members, business owners have been complaining about that. But at the same time, I mean, street vending is um, is an avenue for some people who can't necessarily start you know, a full on business, open up a shop or anything. It's a good way for them to get their feet wet and, and you know, try something out, sell a product or build up to having a, a store. So that's kind of the situation with Got street it. vending. Yeah. And so there's concerns are the the safety and health issues, but also the public space, right? In Mission, in Ocean Beach and in Balboa Park, that's public park. Like, you know, privatizing public park is a pretty controversial thing usually. Yeah. Like if McDonald's wheeled out, uh, a push cart and yeah. set up shop we would have a different reaction to it now now that's not a direct comparison but it, when you are talking about commercializing public space you do need to consider like what it would how your reaction would be if it was and not especially sympathetic private actor right mm-hmm. and, and yet as you pointed out i think you really told the stories of a lot of vendors who they're 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 not they don't want to sit down they don't want to not work they want to build a business and the cost of you know building a business with a storefront is a lot higher and a lot more difficult and with all the permits and everything and so this is a chance for them to get a foothold in the market and get their business started and so balancing their ambition with the public's space is what we're trying to do here and if nobody's happy maybe they did yeah yeah, that's a that's a good way to to look at it. Um, one thing to note too, I mean, street vending has been around forever, mm-hmm. and in in so many countries, it's like the norm to you know have these like vendors selling food, and you know it's an experience of cultures and different things. But um, it 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 has always been like weird in different cities. Different cities have different policies about it, different you know different laws about it, and so the state you know, set out to decriminalize street vending because they saw that it is this kind of avenue for like really small entrepreneurs to, you know, start a business. Um, So they did that. And I think what's been interesting is that that this happened before the pandemic. But like during the pandemic, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously were laid off and realized that maybe the job they were doing wasn't something that they were entirely passionate about. So like a lot of people also turned to, you know, some people I've spoken with vendors um, you know, they were laid off, whatever. And then they were like, well, you know, I've always wanted to design T-shirts or, oh, I've always wanted to, you know, make my, you know, burgers with bagels. And and so then they did that. So I feel like during the pandemic, that's where we really saw a bunch of vendors going out and, and selling stuff. Yeah. So you encouraged me the other day to go. My wife and I had a kid-free Sunday. We <laughs> nice. went to Logan Avenue in, in Bar Logan. Great time. There's tons of vendors on the sidewalk, but then also some great restaurants and uh, I bought some new sunglasses with wooden little sides. <laughs> yeah. It was great. But 
What would happen now to that with this new ordinance? Yeah. So um, what this ordinance does, and it does a couple of things, but one of the big things um, that it does, it establish a permit system. So anyone who's a vendor has to, you know, apply for a permit through the city and there are certain steps that they need to take to do that. Um, On top of that, which vendors already do, is if they sell food, they have to have some sort of like, um, you know, permit or or application process through the county for the food side. Like the food handlers kind of thing? Yeah, but for um, vendors now, they have to apply for a permit with the city to be able to to sell and they have to follow certain rules. Um, And then aside from the permit... There's also uh, certain streets that the city has decided to ban from street vendors. So these were cities or um, streets considered, quote unquote, like high traffic, high traffic areas. Um, so when you think about it, you know, if, if you're in downtown and you have a lot of people walking through, you can't necessarily have a lot of vendors on that sidewalk because, say, someone with a wheelchair needs to go through that sidewalk or, you know, it could be dangerous. So so they selected certain streets that they considered to be like high traffic you know, pedestrian zones. Um, and then certain areas that they are also blocking because of, um, because they're parks and they're public spaces and they shouldn't be, you know, not accessible to the public because there are vendors there with their tables. So they also did that. And they also, which there's not a lot of information, but they established something called an entrepreneur zones, which would be like little areas where vendors can set up. So something like Logan, you know, could be identified as an entrepreneurship zone where you still have all those vendors, you still have, you know, like all these um, different products to offer and that wouldn't necessarily stop, but they haven't identified those zones yet. But that's something that, you know, the community could discuss. Okay, so interesting. So they said you could create these, like maybe neighborhoods could create them or something like that? Yeah, it's 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 going to involve uh, street vendors. The city council members said they wanted to be involved as well because they obviously know their districts and uh, community members and any sort of like business owners. So like the... Vendors that are now in Balboa Park, and there's a lot, Mm -hmm. they could be there in some form, but not in the summer under this rule. Balboa Park is tricky because the state law does give cities some leeway with parks. Okay. Because if if there's too many street vendors that are, you know, um, messing with the parks like scenic or, or natural access, then they can put a ban. So Balboa would be... It's kind of like a gray area for Balboa if they Got wanted it. to establish a zone year. Got it. Okay. Do you think that this whole system that we've discussed here is better or worse than, and it's purely hypothetical, a mayor issuing a permission slip to one individual <laughs> person who happens to, to be able to speak to him for a moment? Do you remember that, what he's talking about? No. no so Bob Filner used to host these these uh, when he was mayor, these like giant gatherings where people could just come and talk to him, and mayor would line up like around the block. Mayor mm-hmm. office hours on Saturday oh, mornings, God. and so like there I, would be a line from the first floor in City Hall out through the plaza, and it would wind all the way around, and people with all different just concerns, like a, just like a king, he'd sit there, and and then they'd show up, and one guy would be one like one by one, <laughs> one guy'd be like. I need to get a, you know, they won't let me sell my, you know, whatever it was. I don't, what the was guy the talked to he no, he was, he made bracelets. That's Bracelet. right. He made he made like uh, like weaved jewelry. <laughs> and so Filner scribbled something on a piece of paper and said, "This guy can do it here," and handed it to his aide or whatever. <laughs> and then his and the guy the, went and got it laminated. The guy got it laminated now, and then he took it to the beach. And he's like, "Okay, see, I can and have this the, here because the, the mayor said the police <laughs> came to." ticket him for illegal vending and he was like nope i have this here thing (laughs) 
which was when I learned about it. And uh, he did that for a while. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's probably a little better. But Well, that sounds nuts. <laughs> the, to film their era was, I still can't believe that was only six months. Just was, the amount of things that happened. So, you know, the, the courtyard, the courtyard downtown where they have like event space. Yes. That that began through mayoral office hours. Mm-hmm. There was like a handful of things that came about from people waiting in line to talk to the mayor. That's yeah. cool. That's a cool story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is, I think, a little better, better than, than that. that. <laughs> a little more organized. Yeah. So uh, when is there it? There were so in, many guys who were like the next the next week. There were so many little artists waiting in line. We're like, yeah, we're here to get our permission slips too. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So when is it into effect? Um, they need to get their permits by June 1st. All right. So, but there will be a period of education. Obviously, like this is new. So um, the the city, at least, I think is planning on working with community-based organizations that have already done a lot of this organizing um, to to educate vendors. You know, there's they can get warnings if certain things are, you know, they're not following certain rules. So th- these community organizations will help them through that. I think one thing I want to mention about this is, it's interesting because, yeah, they're establishing these areas where vendors can't sell. Um, but in a way, they're kind of like legitimizing, you know, this 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 group of like business owners, because before, like, it's very easy people to say, like, they're not paying taxes. They're, you know, they're they're just, uh, you know, we need the city to crack down on these vendors. And but also those interactions with police would create criminal yes. um, justice issues. As yeah. Well. Yeah, and and you know a lot of vendors are people of color mm-hmm. um, or undocumented immigrants who you know who find a way to care for their families through through that avenue. So um, in a way, it 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 kind of says you know oh well, we recognize that you you know contribute to our economy and and here's a permit that you can get and I, there's like thoughts and how they can help them you know in some financial way in the future, but that's not set in stone yet. Thank you. Well, we have a quick update as we got ready to record this show. The governor, Governor Gavin Newsom, announced a plan. It's not in effect yet. It would have to get approved by the legislature, but it would put in motion something we talked about on the show that Lisa Halberstadt wrote about and that was part of the uh, state of the city speech that Mayor Todd Gloria gave last month. And it was that sort of surprising note he said where he wanted the state and the city and the county to be able to um, direct people or make people get treatment or otherwise be put into conservatorships if they were severely mentally ill and couldn't take care of themselves or posed a problem in the in the community. And that had to do a lot with homeless people, not necessarily all. But the governor made his move as we were anticipating there would be some announcement. It's a little bit different this is a, a kind of what's called care court. So this is how it's described under San Francisco Chronicle's de- description. Under his vision, people suffering from psychosis, whether mental illness, schizophrenia, or triggered by a drug addiction, could be brought before a superior court judge under three scenarios. Either they are suspected of a crime, an involuntary hold in a psychiatric emergency room is ending, or a family member or outreach worker believes they cannot care for, them, for themselves. And if that happens, the judge can t- uh, offer up, they, they can work on uh, a plan. 
And if the judge ordered the plan, the county would have to provide the services that the plan provides. And if the person uh, doesn't participate, uh, their criminal case would proceed. If no crime was committed, they could face an existing state process and the conservatorship issue. And medication could even be court ordered, but would not be forcibly given. So it's an interesting thing. It wouldn't be implemented until January, so probably another year. The actual effects of this on homelessness and such is pretty minimal, at least in the short term. But it seems like a kind of a big deal for that issue. Well, it's like a categorically new group of people compared to the the relatively small group of people that are eligible for the conservatorship situation right, right now. This is like it's broader for one and includes people who weren't even in the realm of the old system. And now and then it creates like a pathway that some of those people could end up in a conservatorship, but some of them could end up in a criminal court. So it's 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 both bigger, but also just different than the system that exists today. So it's it's sort of hard to even contextualize it around the size of 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 how many people are in the current system that exists today. What I forgot who what makes a person eligible for the current when system? they literally cannot care for themselves mm. it's judged by like that that was the the illustrative example of the person who was oh, able yes. to eat out of the uh, garbage can and therefore so if they're was, able to find food shelter yes yeah yes. it's super limited and then there's that separate conservatorship issue that had to do with the britney spears case yes so there's two different type of conservatorships and the idea was to make the first type not the britney spears type more liberally available but this is a different angle this is almost like it's like a new road yeah that includes a bunch of different people some of whom if they you know it can be diversionary could never end up in a in a conservatorship for many of those people brought into this new system yeah people who don't follow the system could go to jail or they could end up in a conservatorship right yeah so it's it's and it's different enough that it's hard to just like tack it on to our previous understanding. Um, but it therefore also bears question of like, how many people are we talking about that could be part of this? Yeah. Well, the news came amid uh, the region also dealing with what appears to be a just significant, severe increase in the number of people who are, are, are homeless, especially downtown. The downtown number and census the downtown partnership does about how many people are living in tent encampments has now reached its highest level since it started working, since it started um, doing its its tally. Our Lisa Halverstadt did a really emotionally significant piece, I think, about what she's observed over these last several years as a, a homelessness reporter um, and about uh, the drug overdose deaths that have been occurring. There's They appear to be up 85%. Uh, compared to last year. You know, we were talking, Lisa and I, ahead of this, and she just kept saying that it's worse than she's ever seen it. And she was working to try to quantify that through numbers. And there are there are some numbers, and she includes them in the story, um, the sort of counts that are available and the uh, overdose deaths and just all deaths among people living on the street. She had found some some limited data from SDPD to demonstrate it. But we really encouraged her to write about just the fact that she has been out there in different communities and encampments for six years now, and that there, there's something of value to me of, of her qualitative experience being so much more dramatically bad and seeing more visible despair and desperation on the streets than 
even in a period of six years, which no one in those six years would have ever described as like a really cheerful situation yeah. or something that was going well. And that even in that context, this is much worse than that. And, and so she, she, she sort of tried to drew that, draw that out as well. The whole situation has drawn more interest toward an idea that the downtown partnership has been pushing to create a city-sanctioned safe village. Uh, the idea being that at 20th and B Street that there'd be some kind of big zone put out so that people could encamp or put their encampments there safely. Uh, the mayor has now said that he's open, even though he's been hostile to that idea for some time. There, But the, I think what's happening is there's... I mean, he also kind of he said, like, I'm open to it. Write it down. Tell me what you want. You yeah, know, it's luck. like, yeah. it's, it's not like, it seemed less than than enthusiastic. Yeah. It's like when you have an idea and I'm like, yeah, tell me, uh, write a memo. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's precisely like that. That's cool. Write it down. Uh-huh. But the, the, I think. What? I didn't say no. It's such a, it's such a nightmare issue, right? Because the, it's, we're putting more money and emphasis on it than ever. Mm-hmm. Remember several years ago, we all stopped and as every news organization did something about homelessness to try to drive home the severity of the situation on one day or one week. And and it's only gotten worse. There's more money being put to it than ever. There's more enforcement efforts being put to it, more outreach than ever, and and more attention than ever. And yet it's just it's just getting so much worse and so much more awful to see and and to deal with. So uh, the solutions, the demands for solutions, are clearly reaching the governor's ears and the the mayor's ears. But here was the downtown partnerships' most recent census that said that street homelessness had spiked 65 percent downtown and in areas just outside downtown since last spring. We had an interesting editorial experience the last couple of weeks. The county of San Diego, county leaders are pushing San Diego to get to net zero carbon emissions in San Diego. And that seemed like a big deal and then this follows the heels of the city of san diego which it has not adopted yet but they have uh the mayor's office put out its draft climate action plan which is an update to an existing document where they too say you know that they will achieve net zero Mm -hmm. by 2035 right and so mackenzie elmer started poking around on our environment reporter and realized and found based on some studies that had come out and some reviews by UC San Diego and others that said that the county could not possibly hit this net zero target with the climate action plans that are already in place. That even if those, which are already very ambitious about how they'll change the way that we live and how we get to work and all of the industries and how it all works, that even if we do all of those things in there, which are very hard to get to, it would still be far less than what would be needed to get to net zero. So, Andy, first, what is net zero? So <laughs> and that's like the question that we always ask. We had trouble with that one. <laughs> we, yeah, and it, it's because part of the issue was people when they're talking. And I'll be charitable that when you when you're speaking, as you can hear me stumble right now, sometimes you're not as eloquent as when you are when you're writing things sure. down. And so from time to time, public officials have sort of verbally conflated net zero and zero carbon decarbonization. Right. And um, they mean different things. But so what net zero means, the the 
very popular commitment that the county has made, that the city is attempting to make, that the uh, president of the United States has set out as an as an agenda item for the country, that the UN says we all need to commit to, to stave off catastrophe. Net zero means that not that you take all emissions out of the environment. You, there can still be some emissions, but you reach a balance between the amount of emissions that you put into the atmosphere and the environment's ability to remove planet warming gases from the air and sequester them into their into the soil or the general environmental uh, uh, processes. And what algae or wetlands or what trees that you plant to do that as well. Yeah. So you're pull and, and now there's a, a third component here. So so in general the 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 plus side of the ledger is everything we push out into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Every time we drive drive a car Every time we pour concrete to replace a broken sidewalk, every time we run a factory to produce a new pair of tennis shoes, right? Those are that's the plus side of the ledger. The minus side of the ledger is everything we take out. So trees pull carbon into them to grow, right? That's a good thing for us, and so we can increase. Basically, Bill Nye, the science guy. We yeah. can we can increase. Bill, Bill. We can we can we can make the the negative side of the ledger more robust. Yes. By planting more trees, yes. by restoring more wetlands, we could also make it less robust by paving virgin green land and building houses on it. So, and then there's the other way we can remove planet warming gases from the environment is by as yet mostly undeveloped technology that could do it for us. Mm-hmm. And so. When you discuss like net zero, you're kind of talking about all of those things at once, even potentially you're you're more or less saying we're going to cut all of the emissions that we can and whatever we can't cut gets put into that other category of the things that are going to be taken out. And so to some extent, you end up relying very heavily on the promise of as yet developed technology to save you in the end for all of the emissions you're not able to remove. And so in that respect, to me, it feels like a very empty commitment because you can commit to net zero and leave lots of emissions unaccounted for. And when pressed on those, hand wave it away as, well, between now and 2035, who knows what Elon Musk will come up with Mm -hmm. to, to help us you know, remove the emissions that we weren't able to uh, keep from happening in the first place. Got it. But the the equation to just to put in context where we stand in general, it's we the San Diego region in 2016 put 26 million metric tons of emissions into the atmosphere, and our environment removed about in a given year two million metric tons from the. So the what the environment is like doing to help us that you know you could think of as the emissions we're choosing not to reduce because after all the environment gives us this healthy baseline that we're allowed to is not a large amount of it's not it's not like we have this really large well of opportunity sitting there because the right. environment is 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 so efficient it's 2 million metric tons it's 7% or something like right. that right so there so if we pursue all the climate action plans that are in place which again are very ambitious about how our lives change. Not only that, it's like they have many, many, each of them has many, many action items. So if every single city, all 16 cities, achieves every single item 
for the next 20 years, all of them, on time, and so they they do the thing they said they were going to do, all of them. They do the thing they said they were going to do on time. They do the thing they said they were going to do on time, and it is exactly as successful in removing emissions as they had projected based on, you know, math that is to some degree fuzzy. That still gets us half of the way to net zero in the county. So you were pointing out the other day there's been like two reactions to this story. Yeah. That on the one hand, there are people who are like, see, this is just pie in the sky nonsense. And on the other, it's like, see, we need to be more ambitious. Or, yeah, see, the people in charge are cowardly and they're, they're, they're not doing enough. Right. So I, I, I think this keeps coming back to this thing I keep hitting on, which is that there's, there seems like there's a discussion happening up here about where we're going and the plans we're putting in place. And then there's reality on the ground, all the thousands and thousands of cars that you see on the highway as you're driving. And the, the, when those two worlds connect, it's going to be weird. Because we do, that promise seems to indicate that all the cars need to stop, right? That they or they need to be electric, and mostly that, right? So I think maybe you and I have different things that make us uncomfortable about this. That's fine. To me, and you say this a lot. Here's one of your favorite things to say: is never say you're going to do something before you've done it, because you get the glow of having done it just by communicating that you plan to, right? I th- very well put. Thanks. I think that's what's ha- I think that's what's happening here. Politicians are getting the glow of achieving some significant environmental cut without doing anything, right? Actually, and so when you say people are going to have to remove, you know, stop driving cars if the, for this commitment to happen, well, let's be clear: that's not going to. They're not going to. The, this local governments that are enacting these pledges aren't going to force that to happen. Right. They're not right. going to come in with an anti-driving mandate. Even the most, you know, draconian expression of this that we've dealt with in town is like putting a transponder in your car to track your tr- driving and charge you for it, which is supposed to influence you to drive less, but it's still not a, a law against driving. So what they're doing is it's that you're what you left the back door open to is or all the cars become electric. They are relying on that same back door, which doesn't have anything to do with them. All of the cars on the roads becoming electric will not be achieved through local policy primarily. It'll be achieved through what happens with industrial policy, federal policy, state policy. But in the meantime, they've been able to run a re-election campaign on the promise that they've made mm-hmm. to achieve reductions that they haven't achieved that if are ever achieved, will be done by other people doing other things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it's genius then. (laughs) You can keep up with all of the coverage that Mackenzie Elmer does and her environment report that comes out every other week. It'll be in your inbox every two weeks. And you can get it at vosd.org slash newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this studio in San Diego. Keep up with all of our stories and insights with The Morning Report, our most popular product. Subscribe at vosd.org slash newsletters. We have a new website and it works better and faster, so check it out. 
I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafania are our managing editors. And Adam Greenfield is our expert technician. And Nate John was the engineer of that new website transition. He's also the producer of this show. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.